You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, DB and Dave, Farmer Dave, to uh, hello you, you folks out there. How's it going there, Dave? I am doing well. Yeah? Yeah? I'm kind of like everybody else, you know, I'm caught up in this, just the fact that, that Oleander is such a mundane city during during october and mm-hmm. i'm i'm waiting for you know november 1st and we can go back to being the that quirky mysterious little town that we all love yeah yeah no uh, it's 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 gonna be you know people are calling us boring oreagon yes. <laughs> regional now, humor you, gets regional work <laughs> yeah yeah for those of you that don't live in the portland or the oregon triangle uh, although we've mentioned it several times, Boring, Oregon is a real town. Yeah, just a little bit uh, north of us. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, no, uh, things are cold in these neck of the woods. Uh, temperature dropped so drastically; it's it's been it's been crazy cold. Uh, I've had to break the uh, the ice on the top of the goat's waters in the morning. Better than be, be, better the goat water than the toilet. That's what I say. But then again, yeah. I mean, goats can't break their own water, so best the goat's yeah. water than the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, yeah, and then so got a couple couple of the ones that are a little underweight. We got cute little goat coats for them. Oh, nice, nice. That's very just cool. Just keep them warm. Yeah, those that can't who don't have enough you know body weight to keep themselves warm. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that sounds fun. I mean, goat coats. I, I remember when I was a kid uh, having to, like, put, uh, like, I, I'm trying to remember what they're called, but, like, uh, winter blankets on horses because my sister was, like, uh, uh, did barrel racing and gaming and stuff like that with horses uh, for, like, county fairs and stuff like that. And, you know, we had to put the horses up in stalls and make sure that they're super warm. And, yeah, no, we definitely put uh, big old heavy blankets on them when they start to get... Uh, like October, November, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, no, so, uh, so rural life. <laughs> more, more than you want to know about goats. Yeah. But normally goats are endothermic, so that they, okay. they they bleed heat, and so they will literally they, they bump up, so they they just all climb in together, and that they, they their heat radiates into each other. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But if you know they're sick or they're underweight, then then they need something. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, what do we got going on besides Oleander's Boring? Uh, we've got Halloween coming up, and I think everyone's just going to buy their own candy. Mayor says 50% off candy. So, you know, got yeah, that going A1, on. A- A1 is having 50% off of candy and taxidermy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I-, I don't know if that means, like... A stuffed animal you only get half of it or if you buy one you only have to pay half price but you'll have to ask them about i didn't it. ask yeah no 50 percent off taxidermy that that i don't know <laughs> uh let's see what else do we got going on here yeah there's not much going on uh in town i'm looking through community bulletin board there is nothing november we start getting into thanksgiving and like harvest fest type stuff and that's that's gonna be pretty cool uh there's there's no gonna be skating on the river this 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 winter because i don't know i I think maybe well actually no no outdoor activity that's gonna get cold so hey you know let's let's all let's go let's all go skate on the crap 
So, you know, <laughs> social distance. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah uh, Crop Creek is, um, it, it's, it's not that big. You, you, you could do speed skating for one. It's long. Oh, okay. It's long and thin. I, so you could do like the time speed skating if it goes <laughs> over. Uh, maybe we could do some hurling. But yeah, no, no, I, I, I only cross over the bridge here and there, so... Yeah, I've never really gone on. Yeah, the, the... Clackamas Clackamas doesn't quite freeze over. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's is a, the big one. It's a big and, one, and but, it moves fast. So yeah. Yeah. So, but, but we we'll see. Yeah. So we have a a, a special guest tonight, and we're gonna t- uh, talk a little bit more, you know, with him, or we're gonna play, tell you a little bit about it. Sure. But um, unfortunately, he's not a witch. So I thought that maybe at least for the first part, and we've talked to a couple of just wonderful, great people who are witches, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe we should talk about the most notorious witch in America. Ooh. Or American history. Yeah. And that is the Bell Witch. Okay. What what do you know about the Bell Witch? Oh, I... I, I I know that I've heard about it on podcasts, but I always forget about it, and then I start hearing stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, that thing, and uh, there's something about Andrew Jackson, and uh, and then I'm like, is it the one with the sisters that click their ankles? It's like, no, no, it's not that one. It's uh, that, that's the Fox sisters. <laughs> yeah, it's the Fox sisters. <laughs> it's like, is it? No, 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 no. That's that's Madame Lebowski. It's like, uh, and then I then I totally forget who the Bell Witch is. So. The Bell Witch, very simply put, is Kate Batts, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. Sure. There have been, there have been at least six movies about or inspired by her, uh-huh. and the most famous being The Blair Witch Project. Okay. You know, and when it first came out, a lot of people were, they were kind of advertised based on a true story. Yeah. It's not the three guys, the three people that got dis- that disappeared in the uh-huh. forest true story. What they did is they based the legend of uh, Ellie Cardsdale, I believe was her name, uh-huh. the, the Blair Witch, yeah. is based on the Bell Witch. Okay. And she's just sort of a presence in that movie. So the, I think that with the possible exception, I mean, we last week we talked about urban legends, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oleander's urban legend, you know, is, is Cobra Lily, uh, growing up in Ventura County, California, our urban legend was Charman. I think that Bell Witch is America's urban legend. Ooh. With the only thing possibly giving it run for its money is the Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil, yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. And it gets a little complicated, and, and I'll explain why. So if you're going to tell the story... We've got to basically start the story with John Bell. Okay. Who's, who was, there's no doubt that John Bell was a real person. Um, and there was no doubt that Kate Batts was a real person. But the story goes from there, gets a little bit convoluted. Um, so John Bell moves from South Carolina uh, to Kentucky. Uh, and he buys a lot of property mm-hmm. and he moves his family and he becomes very prosperous 
Um, it was basically, you know, a nineteen early nineteenth century success story. Huh. Um, but then his family is going to be attacked by something paranormal. Ooh. And whether it's true or not, you know, we'll leave it up. I have my suspicion that a lot of this, honestly, we're, we're going to kind of debunk. But there's a center of the story that comes from somewhere. And the next character is Kate Batts. So the Batts family moves to Kentucky at the same time that the Bell family does. Okay. But they're not as, they're not as prosperous as the Bell family. And part of that is that Kate Batts' husband gets hurt farming. Uh, and he basically becomes an invalid. That forces basic... Uh, so he, so that they can survive, He, they, the Batts family has to sell a large portion of their land, dirt cheap, to the Bell family. Now, Kate Batts thinks that this is, that she was taken advantage of. And the honest truth is, she was. But she didn't, they didn't really have much choice. No one else wanted to buy the land. And so the other thing is that Kate Batts' brother was in a dispute with the Bells over a slave that they had sold. Um, and basically they bought the slave when she was a young girl, but agreed to let her stay with her mother. Then many years later, the Bells went back and said, we want our slave. Well, she's worth much more money. And so there was a lawsuit back forth. But so basically the Bat family had to give the Bell family more money than was originally paid. Now, work. this is going to be important because... And I say this part of the story, I'm almost sort of like reading history. Mm -hmm. But from a psychological point of view, this story, what may have happened, may be caused or seen at least reflective of slavery. Yeah. Especially that the slavery that existed in Kentucky at this time Mm -hmm. may have set forth some of the psychological things and maybe some of the slave owners had such suppressed guilt that it's going to create some of this legend. Hmm. So maybe some of the things that they think that they experience is because of their guilt over the way they treated slaves. Now that's a very 20th, 21st century view looking backwards. Sure. Maybe a lot of what they see is psychological because of the the guilt that they pushed down because of slavery. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first heard this story, maybe the first three or four tellings of this story, those parts didn't come up. Basically, the story was originally told to me that John Bell and Kate Batts were lovers hmm. and that they broke up. And There's no evidence. There's no evidence that they were ever in a physical or romantic relationship but that's how the story changes over time so um, so there is in fact there is a dispute so Kate Batts brother sues John Bell Mm -hmm. 
because of the issue with the slave. But the way courts are, John Bell doesn't know that. Paperwork never gets to him. Mm-hmm. Goes to trial, he doesn't show up, the bats automatically win. But he doesn't pay because he never even knew there was a trial. Hmm. So, what do you think you do in 1820 if you win a court case and the person doesn't pay you? Where do you think you go? Oh, I have no idea. Your church. Okay. So they went to the church, and the church excommunicated John Bell. Ah. Now, now, and John Bell was here, okay, apparently. But this where, as the story goes, mm-hmm. when he is excommunicated, his family is no longer protected. Okay. Now he starts seeing things, including this giant dog with a rabbit head. Huh. And, and so he's just starting, and the slaves start seeing birds, like regular, you know, songbirds. Mm-hmm. The size of turkeys. Hmm. And then, you remember, did, did you ever see uh, Blair Witch? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, so one of the scariest scenes, one of the few scenes I thought was really scary, was when they're in the tent and something's outside pounding on the tent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is based on the the, wit, the bells start feeling, or hearing rocks start pounding up, sound like rocks were pounding on their walls. Huh. But they'd go out, and they honestly thought the bats were coming and throwing at it, the bat family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there were no rocks outside. Huh. They'd hear it all night, but they'd go outside, no rocks. And then they started hearing things inside the house. Oh. And, and I'm wondering, too, because they started hearing, like, rats gnawing on the furniture. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can't imagine, there'll be a couple of books out around this time. It'd be, actually, in a lot of ways, I think it's more popular in the 1930s and then the 1820s. So I wonder if Lovecraft ever read about this or heard this yeah. when he did uh, Rats in the Walls. But they, they hear these rats gnawing on on the furniture, uh, gnawing on, on the bedpost. But Whoa. there's nothing there. Yeah. And so, and Betsy, the Bell's daughter, sees this girl hanging from a, a tree limb, uh, just swinging, you know, just grab with her arms, mm-hmm. wearing this green dress. She goes up to talk to her, and she disappears. And then Betsy wakes up one night, and her hair is all tied up in her bedpost, and she feels like she's getting slapped. Oh, wow. Now, and then they start saying, well, who is this? And they're all, they ended up bringing in people to investigate it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they start talking, and the spirit says, I'm Kate Batts. Kate Batts, though, is a real person who uh-huh. is alive, like a couple miles away. She said, yeah. No, it wasn't me. I don't do it. You know, and they, they never have any proof. But Kate Batts is this very opinionated woman. She is very. She has taken over her family because her husband, she has to, her husband is injured. Mm -hmm. So she's this very strong, opinionated woman who, and and again, we see this with sort of 20th century eyes. So yeah, of course the people local start saying she's a witch because she's opinionated. Yeah. She's strong. She's tough. She won't back down to to a man. Mm -hmm. So they start thinking she's a witch. But like I said, we know 
that she died at least a decade after John Bell. Yeah. So, in fact, one of the most famous books in the movie, one of a movie made up, is The American Haunting. Haunting, that's why this story is so confusing to me sometimes. A haunting is a ghost, right? Yeah. How can you be a ghost when you're alive? So, so you know, is this a poltergeist? Is this a, a, a you know, is this a, a demon? Is this the witch? Is this a ghost? Nobody really knows. And the story grows and grows. And so, and in fact, we'll go a little bit on that growth there. But what happens is John Bell dies. And he, stories later come up that he had some sort of container of foul-smelling liquid. Mm-hmm. And he was, he, he had a lot of physical, you know, a, a lot of people in the 1820s who worked the land had physical problems. Mm-hmm. But he, he also had what seemed very problems induced by stress hmm. uh, which I guess if you have this this ghost you know witch cursing you that but um, so the witch the voice of the witch says that I poisoned his medicine basically Ooh. Um, now at the same time though the this this spirit this this that's calling itself Kate bats is very nice to his wife, who is also very sick, but who the spirit sings hymns to her to cheer her up and is supposed to bring plums to her. Hmm. Now, one of the things that I can't connect, but one of the so many different versions of the story, and I'm trying to kind of all tell them together. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. going to tell the story exactly the same. Sure. One of the versions is that, um, that Mrs. Bell was related to the bats. Okay. They came from the same town in South Carolina, so I don't find it too too hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But at the time, there was this thought that um, she helped the bats to poison her husband. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no real evidence for that. But that's just, like I said, there's so many different versions of this story. Now, one of the most famous, is, as you alluded to, is that, you know, uh, Andrew Jackson... Before he was president, he was still general and uh, sort of governor of, K- of Kentucky, I believe, went there and he brought a soldier with silver bullets. <sighs> and that the, the, though their carriage stuck, it would not move. The wheel just could not turn. Uh, and, to, and they heard the ghost laughing and she, he had to basically apologize. Um, and then the story is that, you know, he spent the night there. Uh, another version, which again I don't think is true, mm-hmm. is that the three bats' sons served under him uh, in the you know uh, War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there's any evidence of that, but he said that when people came the next day, they said that he had completely moved. He'd set up a camp away, and the only thing that he would ever say is that he would rather face the entire English army than spend another night in the bell house. Mm-hmm. That story, as wonderful it is, it's got to be legend. Yeah. And, and the reason why it has to be legend is we pretty much know every day where Andrew Jackson was. I mean, it was that documented, especially, yeah. you know, as general, as governor of Kentucky. And, and there's nowhere in that timeline that he seemed to have made a visit in this area. Hmm. Okay. So, that, so that's almost guaranteed a myth. Sure. 
But here's a, another version of the story. So the ghost or, or the spirit or whatever keeps coming back every once in a while. And so Betsy, the, the daughter that, that got her hair tied up and got slapped in the face, um, it, it, she had this choice basically between a sort of a young guy and, and a, an older guy. Mm-hmm. And so th- what happened, the version that we hear most often is that that girl who was swinging in the tree in the green dress appeared to her and said, well, if you go after Gardner, who is the, the young guy, your family will be ruined and cursed and the ghost will return. And she broke up. And so she marries the older guy. But there's an older written version that's pretty obscure where it says that the spirit told her to marry Gardner. Hmm. And the reason they broke up was Gardner thought that she had learned ventriloquism and that she was trying to throw her voice as the spirit, the spirit telling him to, to get married. <sighs> so... So there are a lot of different versions of this story. Uh-huh. And, and the house exists. There's this cave. Right now, the, there's a, the, the big site place sort of tourist is, is the cave behind the house hmm. where people still go in. You can go in. You, you, I think you pay a couple bucks and, and you tour the cave and they tell you ghost stories. Ooh. Um, but... Um, you know, like I said, the thing is that the story obviously existed. And, and, and like I said, I don't doubt that John Bell lived. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that Kate Batts lived. Sure. That, that we seem to have, I haven't seen the personal, but people have seen the records say, yes, we, we've got their names on tax documents. We've got them on, in censuses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't imagine, I suspect there's some weird things happened. Yeah. Uh, and I think that maybe subconsciously it had to do with, you know, the way we treat women and the way we treat African-American slaves at the time. Yeah. But what happened is that most of the people that were there that were witnesses mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't write. Okay. So it's not until, it's not until, you know, so we get a couple of writings in newspapers you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, on later. But it's not until 80 years or so. And, and even the writing of John Bell's son mm-hmm. and, and the nieces and nephews, there's the, when it starts getting written down, Yeah. all the witnesses are old. Okay. So I suspect that this story has a... I mean... It's one of those classic stories. It has a kernel of truth somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something happened. These people were real people. And, and there's a few people say, well, we even doubt that. But I, I'm going to say that they probably were real people. All right. But it, it's a classic story of the, the story outliving and surviving the people. Okay. Huh. So, yeah, we don't. So, you know, is it, you know, is it psychological guilt uh, is it a ghost is it a poltergeist is it a witch is it a spirit is it a trickster yeah we don't know huh yeah that's 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 an interesting that's an yeah that's that's cool 
and it's like I remember bits and pieces of it as as it's told to me, and then yeah, I'll I'll, I'll promptly forget about it and be like, wait a minute, is that the who put Bella in the witch elm? No, no, no. Is that the sisters that pulled muslin out of their faces? No, no, that's that's no, that. that, that's in England. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you know what I'm talking about, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, so, so there's, there's so many versions that, you know, you can sit down with 12 different people and even though, you know, the core of the stories might be the same, mm-hmm. no version's going to be the same. Okay. And and, and uh, where did this take so, place? Uh, this is in, it was Red River, Kentucky, which is now called... Um, Oh, uh, oh, Adams, Kentucky is the name of the city now. Okay. It's basically now a suburb of Nashville. Oh, interesting. Or not, or, um, you know what? I've been this whole, <laughs> I've been calling it Kentucky. It's Tennessee. Tennessee. This whole time, oh. people have been walking. Uh, all of our, all of people listening, going, that's not Kentucky, that's Tennessee. <laughs> yes, you are right. Um, yes, I, I, pulled a stupid on the the name of the state not a problem dave we all forgive you and thank you yeah no so yeah no that's 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 a cool story i guess it kind of wraps up witches for this year yeah no hey everyone thank you for listening to us talk about witches i know we're just two dudes talking witches i mean that's why we had some real witches on so it wasn't just us being like, this is what we think witches are. So, <laughs> and we all learned something, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, no, really, just yeah, wanna wanna thank our our, our guest uh, for uh, yeah, and we've got a, a special guest now for the interview. Oh yeah, who is not a who is not a witch? Not a witch. No. So we've got here is Edward Stone, who is a medic. Mm-hmm. who basically has been attending the continual um, protest at night in Portland. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if... We talk about it, but I don't know if all your relatives are calling up and saying, Portland's burning, Portland's burning. You know, are you saying, well, Portland is not burning. No, no, my, my, my relatives live around Portland, so that they know what's going oh, on. Oh, so that they, 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 you know... Yeah, so... Um, so... Um, yeah, so, and um, it just, you know, we felt this was an appropriate time or to, to, to share this because uh, this will be our last broadcast before the election. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it will be. I just realized that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I'm full of dread. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Vote. so this is my interview <laughs> with... Uh, with um edward morris yes yes definitely listen to this and also go out and vote make sure you vote yeah (laughs) vote all right here is the interview with edward morris and um yeah uh i'm not 100 percent sure but i think i threw a t-shirt to edward morris once at a poetry reading at the hp lovecraft film festival i'm gonna have to double check uh but I'm 90% sure about that. I, I could totally be wrong. It, is, 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 is Edward Morris part of, like, the writer's circles and stuff like that? Do you know? Or Yeah, Yes, he is. Okay. And he does, he does uh, 
and he is doing a podcast, and we talk a little bit about that. Oh, cool. But he has done a lot of open mic. Nice. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 90% sure that I, I, I threw a t-shirt to him at one point in time, or possibly slippers, but yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go with that, and then after that, we're going to have a little bit of a, just some IRL chat with uh, DB and Dave. So here's that, and then we'll go with that, and we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back. This is Radio Free Oleander, and this is the Farmer Dave Show. And we've got a special guest for you today. I'm really excited to hear about what he's gone through and experienced. Uh, this is Edward Morris, and he has been in Portland where things have been unraveling in the last couple of weeks. And he's a, basically a, an eyewitness to what's been going on. Um, now, Ed, did you want to talk about, sort of introduce sort of the, the podcast you're doing in and how that affects uh, uh, why you're out in Portland? Yes, very well. I've lived here 20 years. I moved up here a long time ago to start working on a movie with a friend, and I loved it so much I haven't left. But with the podcast, when the protest started over the summer, I have a lot of friends involved with an organization called the Portland Ewoks. And what they basically are are volunteer medics. Uh, You've seen a lot of volunteer medics in the news lately, especially the two that the cops pushed off that guy who got shot and they let him bleed out. Yeah, volunteer medics are being targeted real hard down there, and the Ewoks are a really good index of that. But two of my uh, friends in the bouncing community who I've been privileged to work at various venues with over the years, they were both going pretty hard from the beginning, and one of them said, such impassioned things about it that it really, really pulled me up short. And I was like, okay, I should go down too. So I started going down, talking to press people and building up gear. And at first I was trying to help with private security stuff because that's what I do best. There are a lot of outside agitator elements that really need pushed back because they're not a part of BLM. BLM people don't want nothing to do with them. And There's just not enough of anything on the ground because the cops don't let EMS in. They don't let the fire department in. They're backpedaling out of that now. But the reality of it is on the ground that it's just like um, in Nigeria and Turkey and a lot of other places where there have been protests going on now. The medical support on the ground is entirely volunteer. So I got to see a lot of that and kind of, you know, just carry wood and draw water and go where I was told, you know, whenever, and I was quite happy to do that. I always am. But looking at a lot of the work that these really brave Portland journalists like Alex Zelensky and Laura Hadid and many others have been doing with live streaming this stuff on Twitter and really getting the real truth out of what's going on and what gets swept under the rug, and so much of it does, I was like, okay, I can do this too. And I had been approached uh, by two poets that are really good friends of mine, Camille and Ashley Perry, and about uh, continuing a live spoken word show I'd done in Portland for seven years as a podcast rather than the live version, because the venue where we were at closed due to COVID. Was due, due to COVID. Yeah, it was permanently closed. And I was real upset with that. Becky Doggett is God. That was my favorite place to have the show. It was the show's home. But... Shady Pines Radio is uh, the two people, that, the couple, uh, Brian and Kelly, that used to host the East Burn open mic. They went and cobbled together a radio station, and a lot of people are involved. So they were real jazzed about the spoken word thing, and I managed to 
jolt that back into life in a few ways with a lot of help. But I said, hey, what about protest stuff? I didn't think it had a shot in hell. I thought it was too controversial. But they were like, yeah, we love it. Um, you know, we love the idea. See what you can do. And there have been, there's been so many headlines to wade through and so many weird things happening that I have to kind of pick apart a little bit at a time that I haven't gotten to go out very much since I started the podcast. It's kind of ironic, but there's going to be a demonstration during the day on Saturday. I'm going out with a few other people from the station and yeah, just right back to the way it was, except with lots better gear and better recording equipment. <laughs> And, and this will this will be downtown, correct? Downtown, yes. Uh, there will be a demonstration in Pioneer Square, and then it will be moving towards the Justice Center. I anticipate it getting really shitty when it goes up to the Justice Center because things always do, and it's gotten a lot weirder down there. There was uh, the Chuds, the uh, Proud Boys, and. Uh, back the blue people cleared all the homeless people and all the protesters who were still camping out in Chapman Square. They cleared them all out at the point of AR-15s, and they were harassing journalists, too. And they had a fifth column. This guy that runs what they call BLM ribs down there, it used to be Riot Ribs, which was a free food booth until he dimed them out to the cops, and the cops ended up spraying down the grills with pepper spray and demolishing the place, which they also did to met the medical tents. But yeah, BLM ribs guy is still down there and the camps have been cleared and it's just really sketchy as hell. Um, but yeah, that's going to be where it ends up. I want to talk a lot about the non-BLM elements downtown that we have. So, to so, so I, I have a question for you first, <laughs> sure. though. Sure. So, and, and I see this when I watch things like what's happening in Lebanon or Syria. Sure. And I, what you said, it seems to me that these aggressors, and, and sometimes, and I'm not an expert on this, I think sometimes maybe our government too in these other countries, and well, it's here, target medical facilities. Absolutely. And it's... What, what, what is the impact? Why? I mean, I sit there and to me that seems, you know, I don't necessarily understand war anyways, but that seems... Why are you why are you trying to hurt the only people who are trying to help? Well, I've never been to Lebanon and I've never been to Syria, but I look at the news about 22 and a half hours a day. And what they're doing downtown is essentially they do it just to be, you know, just to send a message like it up and down the chain. The message is the same. The most concrete example I can think of, and I will bring this back to the medics in just a second, but there was this sure. kid named Donovan Labella who was down at the Justice Center at one of the very early demonstrations, 24-year-old kid, uh, college student, as I understand it. And he was making like John Cusack and say anything, like he had a boombox and he was holding up. The I, I saw those pictures. Yeah, he was playing some song. And just for being a smart aleck and holding up a boombox and playing a song, this cop shot him in the head with a baton round. I've been, well, in the best of all possible worlds, I'd love to get an interview, but he's having brain leaks. <laughs> he's having trouble. I, I, I saw that. Yeah. Um, but he is the most egregious example, and they do that to medics, too, all the time. They'll push them off of people. They won't let people who are injured through the police line. They won't let medics through the police line. Um, and it's just to send a message like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. We're state power will win out and we will bust you and use all of our garbage silencing strategies and toxic chemicals to silence you every way that we know how. 
And I realize you may not know the exact headspace of the authorities here, but do you think it's because they consider them soft targets that they won't fight back? Or are they trying to maybe support, destroy the support mechanism? Well, I think there are as many different answers to that as there are thumper cops, honestly. But okay, a yeah. lot of what I see in Portland, the Portland Police Bureau and the real estate lobby have a lot of interests that literally cross axes, sometimes with the same officer slash slumlord. And, you know, they're always on about property, property, property. And they've been trying to stretch the federal charges onto all of these things that would normally be crimes or offenses tried at the state and local level, like spraying graffiti or throwing a water bottle or whatever. Um, they, they all bring it back to property, 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 because it's their interests. Same way it was down in Atlanta when Killer Mike and Mayor Bottoms were telling everybody not to riot because, strangely enough, Killer Mike and Mayor Bottoms own property in the neighborhoods where people were rioting. So, of course, they're going to say, calm down, this isn't us. It's, you know, you follow the money, just like Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein said in the 60s, follow the money. <laughs> And I sort of derailed you there, but, uh, and I apologize, but that's a, just a question I've always had. Um, so um, you were talking about basically these non-Portland groups coming in, correct? Yes. There have been outside agitators in everything that has happened, and the two really high-profile ones that weren't outside agitators were people who were seriously mentally ill. The guy that threw the Molotov cocktail and Michael Raynal. And Michael Raynal is a little bit of a oh, hard case to argue, but yeah, they were— but they oh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but for, no, for the people that are listening that are not in the Portland area, this was thrown at the BLM protesters. It was— a. Someone who went down there with the ostensible intent of being part of the protest, but nobody knew really which side he wanted to be on, and he was kind of talking all over the map and stuff. It looked like he was trying to throw it at the cops, but he dropped it on himself, okay. and a bunch of protesters helped put him out. I saw it in the uh, in the video, but it was this huge fracas, like— yeah, again, nobody really, he, he was kind of all over the map the way he talked. And, and again, I didn't interrupt, but wasn't a, there at least that one time a report of someone throwing a, a Molotov cocktail at the peaceful pro protesters? That was the same one, but there were a lot of uh. conflicting reports. There were three different conflicting reports. It was at the Kelly building. I was going to go up that night. I was livid that I wasn't there that night because... That would have turned out very differently if I was on that corner. I liked to go up to that corner in direct traffic because I got this big jacked up flashlight from work and it was a nice chill thing to help people do, you know, hand out water bottles, see if anybody's hurt, whatever. So sure. I got to see that a lot, that corner a lot, but I didn't get to see it the night that he threw the cocktail. You know, and, and I appreciate you because you are an eyewitness and I consider sure. myself extremely close, but I'm about 20 miles away. Sure. So you have such a better vantage. And so even things that I think I got pretty much right because I'm close, you've got such better advantage than I do. Well, again, I'm looking at the news and trying to compare and cross-check like 15 different sources of news all the time. So my vantage is unique. Anybody who's been down there for at least one night or two nights, I knew a guy who was 
not going to say who it is because we're real close, but he was real against that stuff at first. And he said a lot of things that, you know, I hear people in Pennsylvania say Trumpers and whatever that, you know, I just expect the party line. But then he went down there for a couple of nights and the next time we hung out, he had this giant BLM poster in his window and he was talking about all these different things, like how they need more private security and everything else. He just did a total 180 from being down there one night talking to peaceful demonstrators and talking to you know BLM folks and political folks and really seeing what it was what was actually going on and what was actually being suppressed and what wasn't. And I think a lot of my relatives or friends or acquaintances that live outside of Oregon have this belief that they honestly believe that the city of Portland is on fire. <laughs> they showed, uh, there have been many memes posted showing that, um, oh, I think it's like a four square block radius downtown and the little micro size places like the area of the ICE building and the area of the Kelly building and stuff. And it just looks like a couple of postage stamps sitting on a wedding cake. They're like, this is how much important, and, you know, of course, people will take pictures in the Pearl or whatever of like some nice chill afternoon of everybody out eating their lunch and drinking a beer. And it says anarchist jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's Portland is not on fire. Portland has never been on fire. And they talk about all of this looting that happened in the beginning, and it was mostly white folks, as I understand it, just little rich suburban kids who decided to wild out and whatnot. Those, that was not, that was a consequence, but that was not a planned direct action to, for people to be looting businesses. There are a lot of things that I don't support that I think are consequences, and mm. the party line of the black bloc people is, you know, rioting is a natural consequence of civil disorder. And if protests shouldn't turn into riots, then arrests shouldn't turn into murders. Thank you, Edward Morris. We agree with you 100%. No, it should not end in murder. Shouldn't even be. Uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you for securing this interview. I I have to say thank. Thanks, everyone who's out there doing their part and all the people who are helping and just be aware. Yeah, no, Portland's not on fire. There's, yeah, no, you, you listen to the interview. I don't have to tell you anything. And everyone who's listening, thank you for listening. Everyone who listened to that, share it with your friends. Um, like you can even cut out the first part. Like d don't even share the other parts of the show. Just share that part. Be like, I queued it up for you. Just listen to this. This is what's going on. It's not what they're telling you on. Like even, some local news it's uh, and trying to explain it to other people trying to explain what who's doing what and who the players are just it's frustrating sometimes because of what the media says and does thank you again and more with some dumb goofy stuff with me and dave all right here we go you're listening to kzom oleander public radio okay Hey everybody, we are back. It's me, real life DB and David. Uh, yeah, no, 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 Farmer Dave, just David. And uh, yeah, this is uh, 
Okay, we're we're gonna break the fourth wall here. So you ready? Sure. Oh, I just Wayne's, pushed and it I just over. waving the hand, just like the Wayne's World. Yep. And then I physically pushed um, the fourth wall over, if you heard that thud. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we, we kind of did that a little bit when we talked about... Um, the fires. About the fire. Yeah. But the the plan is that every last episode of, of you know, the last part of the last episode of the month, mm-hmm. you know, this is just going to be... Just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the characters... It's not the city of Oleander. It's just the you know the real David, the real Daniel. We just mm-hmm. sort of talk. Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's. I mean, as as I said in the beginning of the show, what's going on with me is it's been cold. I was cold at work the other day, and I got a cold, and I've been recovering from being sick, but also having to edit the fifty billion podcasts that i do for no money <laughs> and, and, and everybody's probably afraid oh no does he have covid no, no. it's cold no 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 just just mild hypothermia probably <laughs> so, so so in the show you know I, i've said that you know you know farmer david's pretty much by himself he has no family uh-huh. but in real life you know i do live with this sort of huge extended family yeah and so my nieces turned 16. Oh, cool. Happy birthday, Mana. Happy birthday. And so we took very precautions, but we, I, you know, I actually, we went out on our first excursion mm-hmm. in seven months. Oh, that's cool. You know, and we, you know, we social distance. We all wore masks. But, you know, I, I was the guy I used to, you know, if there was nothing to do, I would just drive around the streets of Portland, you know, you know, and, but yeah, I, this is the first time I really got out in seven months. Oh, nice. Uh, we went to, a, a Tillamook cheese factory uh-huh, uh-huh. and then we, uh, uh, went to rocket. I, you know, I've been here seven years. I had never been to the Oregon coast. Oh, uh, so we w- went to Rockaway beach. Cool. They have these huge giant kites. Uh, and then we went to Fort Stevens, oh, nice. which is a military base that yeah. got actually attacked by a Japanese submarine during World War II, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and is the, basically uh, we went to the it's the farthest north you can go. Yeah, part in, of it be in Oregon. Yeah, um, there, there there's part of it that was uh, used in the film An Officer and a Gentleman. I remember oh. the uh, uh, tour guide telling us that uh, when I was like a preteen in the 80s and being like okay <laughs> who cares but that's something that i still remember <laughs> oh, so 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 those of you who haven't been there it's basically um gun batteries world yeah. war ii gun batteries mm-hmm. uh built um you know into a, like a little side of a hill yeah and we were thinking this would make such a great zombie movie you know this is the last you know the last base of human beings and yeah, when I was, uh, as, as I said, a preteen, like 12, uh, my best friend and I, the one who, uh, him and I reversed engineered D&D, uh, we spent like a week out there. His parents uh, like uh, rented a, uh, a spot at a campground and we rode bikes and did stuff like for a couple of days there and also like hung out at oh, Seaside. Oh, amazing and... bike trails. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, we rode our crappy 80s bicycles all over the place very steven spielbergian kind of 
80s summer kind of thing. Kids on bike? Kids on bikes. So driving back, we saw an elk. Oh, cool. I haven't seen an elk since I've left Idaho. Uh Very neat. Very neat. Yeah, um, let's see. What have I got going on? I uh, built and yeah, built and uh, like did the electronics and finished all that. Uh, a brand new bass guitar. I don't know if I've talked about that on here. Uh, do I play bass guitar? No. Did I build a bass guitar that sounds amazing? Yes. Am I learning bass guitar? Yes. You bet. Do I know how to play the bass line for Love is the Drug by Roxy Music? Yes. Did I learn half the bass lines off of Genesis' The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway? Yeah. Do I know anything else? No. <laughs> so that's been my uh, <laughs> journey with bass guitar so far. <laughs> oh, you got you got to um, do um, NXS's uh, Never Tear Us Apart, the greatest bass riff ever. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I, I, I do have to learn that one. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, no, uh, just doing a lot of, like, uh, homeschool with the kids, uh, harvesting all of the tomatoes and leeks and peppers that, and squash and pumpkins and more squash and zucchini. And we just harvested all that because, as, as we talked about before, it is getting cold and it's, it, it dropped to yeah. uh, zero, no, well, it, it dropped to about 32 degrees uh last night so yeah we, we we got everything we could and yeah no I'm, I'm working on a new podcast so if you are someone who likes fallout the uh, video game series if you like video games and post-apocalyptic stuff i am doing a podcast about a uh charismatic lucky idiot who uh lucks his way into um just I don't know into into becoming like kind of the leader of a trade caravan in post-apocalyptic Boston, and uh, you can find that by searching Johnny Smoothskin. Um, let's see what else is going on. Yeah, great shows. I've listened to the first couple. Really oh, thank good. you, thank you. Yeah, I've got uh, about twenty up now, and uh, spoiler alert: their Halloween episode is very similar to our Halloween episode except for it's uh, recorded in a uh, quarry in Boston called Dunwich Borers. So <laughs> it's just slightly different. And and the cool thing about this, this is actually an authorized program, correct? Uh, it's, it's about as authorized as fan stuff can be. It's They're not going to sue me because the fact that I'm more or less doing a how-to guide and also... Uh, a, a how-to guide and also just kind of like uh, lore about the game itself. And yeah, it's it's not like the stamp of approval by Bethesda, but it's like, hey, yeah, no, uh, let us know about it and we'll uh, we'll tell people about it for you. You know, it's just... It's, That's it, about as authorized as you can get. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't put their seal on it and be like, approved. And because then they might be like, don't use our logo. That's that's copyrighted. <laughs> but I can use all the sounds and I can make references to anything that happens in the game. And if I, you know, I, I can go into parody if I want. And yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm free to do what I want with it. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, if I, if I do end up uh, 
doing well with this, maybe I'll do one with uh, Skyrim or some other video game series that uh, I've enjoyed, where I do my playthrough where I say all the sarcastic things and do things like steal things from one group of people and, you know, blame it on someone else, that kind of stuff. Because it's fun to try and, I don't know, break the game in weird ways just to see what happens. So, so if you ever do um, Cyberpunk 2077, let me know, Ooh. because I am an I am an expert on the lore of Cyberpunk 2020. I was gonna say on... we need to do next month for uh, Noir November. We need to maybe talk about Cyberpunk 2020. I was thinking, like November 17th is when Cyberpunk 2077 comes out, and. I'm super and excited because Cyberpunk Red. Yes. Cyberpunk Red is the new uh, tabletop game. That's very cool. That's very cool. And I'm super excited. And this is such a dumb thing to be excited about. But I'm super excited about the fact that Keanu Reeves plays uh, Johnny Silverhand. Sure. And I'm like, and if you don't know anything about Cyberpunk 2020 or if you haven't played it, it's like, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, he's this rocker guy. And it's like, oh, man. No. But... <laughs> And, and, and he was with a guy named Carrie Yordine, mm -hmm. and they were in a band called Samurai, and they broke up because their pianist kicked her abusive boyfriend, uh, boyfriend through a window with her cyber legs. Yeah. I mean, I'm down with the cyberpunk history. Oh, yeah. No, no. I remember, like, getting into Cyberpunk 2020 and then, like, Shadowrun, and my friends were like, we don't like that one. It's too hard. And this one has magic. And I'm like, but the math is worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm also excited. We've got four interviews scheduled. Oh, cool! Very cool. Including a. It's going to be a, a pulp noir, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, November, but um, one of them is going to be about a real famous case in Los Ooh. Angeles that a lot of the noir writing afterwards is going to be influenced by. Yeah. And that's the Black Dahlia. Yeah, and who do you got uh, talking to you about that? And that is going to be, um, oh, uh, my friend and yours, Eric Fuentes. Oh, cool. Yeah, Eric from D&D. &D. That's awesome. Yep. And, uh, no, I've known Eric for over two decades. Oh, cool. And he has just deep-dived on this, so we're going we're gonna to learn a lot. Nice. And then we're going to talk about pulp science fiction and horror. Nice. And that is going to be with Edmund Stone, who has a uh, a lot of short stories out, but he's got a, a space gothic horror slash cosmic horror uh, uh, book called The Lost Hope. Ooh, sounds cool. And then we're going to talk um, with uh, Byron Kraft, who wrote uh, The Shagos and The Arkham Detective mm -hmm. about pulp detectives the yeah. pulp supernatural detectives very much yeah that's 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 cool i i really like his stuff it's very kind of like at times it's very kind of like old school lovecrafty not not too old school lovecrafty but you know like uh 30s era weird fiction but with a n noir kind of twist to it but then again he can also very much <laughs> also very much he can write well better than i can speak <laughs> uh like modern modern horror but like with like a militaristic bent to it like oh this takes place on an army base and it has this and or very kind of like i don't know uh if you didn't know it was his book you might be like oh it's just kind of a mystery book and then it 
nope, it's 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 not. And I have to say, one of my favorite ones is uh, the Cry of Cthulhu. If you haven't read the Cry of Cthulhu, check yes. out the Cry of Cthulhu by Byron Craft. I highly recommend it. Yeah. All and right. then our final interview is yeah. when I say Robert E. Howard, what do you think of? I think of uh, Canaan, the Barbarian. Well, what about if I told you he was also an amazing poet? I, 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 I would... Uh... And, and he wrote entire... And his poems are based on supernatural and adventure. But he writes a poem, and it's an entire story. Huh. So he tells as much in like a one-page poem yeah. as, as other people do in 20, 30-page stories. Huh. And we're going to be talking about the poetry of Robert E. Howard. Cool. Uh, with... Um, Oh, with uh, Derek Koch. Oh, cool. Very cool. I know that or guy, Derek too. Koch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Monster Kid Radio. Yeah, Monster Kid Radio. Very cool. Yeah, no, uh, haven't haven't seen Derek in a while since uh, this pandemic. Haven't been to any movie reviews or film festivals. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be cool to hear, uh, hear him on our show. And uh, if you haven't had a chance, listen to Monster Kid Radio. It's a great show. Uh, a lot of great people on it. A lot of people that... Um, You'll hear on a lot of weird fiction, uh, horror, Portland-themed stuff, kind of. Yeah, no, no, Derek. Derek's a great guy, and I, I can't say enough nice stuff about him. And, and he knows he knows his Howard. Oh, yeah, yeah. He knows, he knows Robert E. Howard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next month. Very cool, very cool. And I'm looking forward to having all y'all uh, join us next month. For Noir November, and I think we were gonna have a couple more ghost story uh, from the, for them the book club popping up just to keep everyone listening this uh, October and just getting everyone in the spirit for Halloween, spooky Halloween. Ooh. Oh, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, that we 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 need some we need some spooky spirit stuff. To this time of year oh, with yeah. the, the pandemic sure yeah no i mean something that's scary that's not real is nice <laughs> yeah all right well hey everyone thanks again for listening to radio free oleander we're 11:30 a.m kzom oleander oregon we're, we're we're in the uh oregon triangle and uh if you can find us and you can hire us maybe you can something something Radio Free Oleander. (laughs) Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.